It's, uh, it's really wonderful to be back, and I learned so much when I was off. Uh, watching Pete and Kim, I mean, he did an extraordinary job, and I learned from Pete when he was up there that if you want to build friendships, you've got to carry an axe, and it has to be sharp. So there's that. And the key, uh, he gave the key to the future from somebody, so I don't know. Anybody need a key to the past? I, I, I have something I can give you here. And then Kim, you know, she talked about rocks and unresolved guilt neck. So I thought, you know, I didn't want a big bag like she had. It looked like it was hurting her back. So carry a little bag of unresolved guilt is what I learned from her. And then if you need to write down your sins, uh, Scripture says in Micah uh, 7.19, he'll bury, the Lord will bury him in the depths of the sea. We, I'll do better. You can write down your sins. <laughs> right on this roll of toilet paper here and it'll go down to the depths of our sewage treatment plant right here at FCF Church. <laughs> uh, all kidding aside, I, I got permission from both uh, giving Pete to, you know, to do this and I was not actually going to do it. I told him it was an idea and they said, oh, do it, do it, do it. They did an extraordinary job, man. Uh, great, great teaching and, and I, I could not be more thrilled. All right, so by now you're wondering what's with the eye and, and the head and everything like that. Um, I wish I had an exciting story to tell you, like, I, I, the man blasphemed and I said, thou shalt not do that, and I turned the other cheek, but it, it was really not like that at all. So if you want to know what put this on my head, here it is, if I can get that picture. Uh, not, not my wife, but... No, 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 you jumped, you jumped. Not my wife, but this little fellow right here. Um, we, we got a new puppy less than two weeks ago. This was the first day we brought him home. And I was trying to teach him how to run up our porch steps to, you know, get in the house. And so I turned around to look to see if he was following me sufficiently. And something happened with my feet. My head hit the gate. And the rest is why I look the way I do. I really had a much worse um, goose egg on my head. But now I'm just, un, you know, just semi-hideous. I was much more hideous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is my other little partner here. If I can go to that picture now. Uh, that's Mowgli. Uh, the other little boy was Scooby. That's Mowgli. He needed a playmate or something for a snack to eat, so we decided. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Scooby is actually going to grow. He, he is a Saint Birdoodle. I would only get a Saint uh, Christian dog, so I got a Saint. Uh, a Saint Birdoodle. You know what that is? That's a Saint Bernard and a full-size poodle. So he'll, he'll grow to be the size of uh, Mowgli or, or even bigger, perhaps. So anyway, uh, we are getting ready to start this series, this new series. And to introduce it, I want to turn you to a portion of Scripture. It's from 1 Chronicles chapter 12. And what you have here in 1 Chronicles 12 is these lists of individuals that started to gather to David and become his army and prepare to uh, anoint him, not anoint him, but kind of put him in his place as king. And anyway, amongst the listings, you have this unusual verse that says, From the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. Innocuous to that point, but the rest is where it gets interesting. All these men understood the what? The signs of the times. And they knew, because they understood the signs of the times, they knew the best course for Israel to take. History, if you study much of human history, you know that there are times when everything goes slow and steady. Sometimes they're long, they're, they're stretched out. But then there are these transitional periods in human history where everything starts to change rather radically. So what happens if you happen to be living in one of those transitional times? The book of Acts chapter 17, it says something very interesting. Acts 17, 26 and 27. It says that God himself determines the times and the geographical settings that we will be born in. Follow this. This means that instead of being born in medieval times, you know, God knew I would never make it in medieval times. He put me here in this time and you here in this time. But he also put us in this country instead of like North Korea or something. Now you're thinking, well, that's not very fair. Bear with this thought for now that God is more fair than you and I will ever be, more kind, more loving, more compassionate. And the rest of that verse says he puts us in these different places because it maximizes the likelihood that we will seek him. So I'll end it with that. But here's the thing. History has those eras where everything is changing. And sometimes they're not changing in a desirable way. Sometimes they're changing in a very uncomfortable way. Let me give you an example. 
Let's say that you were a Jew and you lived in Germany from 1900 to 1932. You were well accepted, you were liked, you were respected, you were even part of, of some of the governmental aspects of the country and your life was, was wonderful, normal. But in 1933, when Hitler took over and his socialist party, his National Socialist Party took over, everything started to change. Now, there were some Jews that could read the signs of the times. They knew the kinds of things that Hitler was saying. They knew that their life, like it or not, was going to be disrupted. They probably didn't know how far it was going to go. When it started, there was about 532,000 Jews in Germany. When it ended, about 282,000 who knew the signs of the times between 1933 and 1939. They fled and they left before he went on his massive purge starting at the beginning of World War II, 1939. There were, there were 9.5 million Jews scattered around Europe at the start of World War II. There were 3.5 left. Hitler killed 6 million Jews purposely, intentionally, just you got to get this. You got to let this sink into your heart. It wasn't because they were mean people. It wasn't because they changed in their behavior. It wasn't because they did anything to deserve it. They simply were in an era of transition in time where to be a Jew meant that you were going to be targeted and you were going to be killed. So about 282,000 of them, now you got to follow this, 282,000 of them, they saw what was happening. They knew the signs of the times and they fled and they made it out of Germany. Now here's the question. You have to understand, when they fled like that, they left businesses, they left professions, they left houses, they left family. They had to go into other countries and start with nothing. You talk about having your life inconvenienced, you talk about taking a step back, they took 10 steps back. But when your life is on the line, you have to do the things that are necessary. That is, unless you just choose not to live. So here's the question. What if we are living in one of these transitional times where whether we like it or not or know it or not things are going to change the Jews were very comfortable in Germany for for a long period of time but then in 1933 Hitler came along and no longer was the culture uh, open to them no longer was the culture warm to them no no longer was it easy and safe to be a Jew all of a sudden the culture turned hostile and you either had to flee or you died. You died. What, what, if, what if we were living in a transitional time? So this message, I, I want to make this point. This message, it's not about some principle or set of principles. This message from my heart, I am telling you, and I, said, I did this in another series, not too far back. I did a series on 2 Timothy chapter th uh, 3, verse 1 through 5, where I kind of said the same thing. We're at a turning point in human history we're, we're getting in a place now, I just want you to know that to be a Christian, to identify yourself as a follower of Christ, it is going to be less and less popular, less and less acceptable, less and less easy, more and more pressure is going to be felt, and the pressure is going to be this, this kind, the pressure to become silent, to not stand up, but to stand back, not, not to, to be open about our allegiance to Christ, not, not to speak the truth as God's word speaks the truth about issues. The pressure is going to be to be silent, to step back, to go along, to get along. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to be faithful. There, there's a word in the New Testament that's used pretty frequently, and it's the word tribulation. And Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, there's going to come a time of, of what he called, he himself called it, great tribulation. He said the time is going to be so severe that, that if it weren't cut short, human life would not continue to exist on the planet. Now, the word for tribulation that's used there, and it's used elsewhere in the New Testament, it's a Greek word, thalipsis. And ironically, what that word means is pressure, pressure. Now, I'm going to dare to just ask this. How many of you, perhaps in the past 10 years, let's say, or I could say five years, you are feeling, you are sensing something's changing in society and there's more and more pressure upon those that are loyal to Christ, loyal to the word of God. There's more and more pressure for us to silence ourselves, particularly on certain issues. How many of you have sensed that pressure yourself? Can I see your hands? Okay. So you're like the men of Issachar. 
You, you know something of the signs of the times, and therefore you know what you should do. I'm going to just give you three things real quick. We are living in a, a time of prophetic transition. Many of you know that the scripture, the Bible, it's about one-third predictive prophecy. God predicts the future before it occurs. We are living at a transitional, pivotal time where three things are coming together. There's the geopolitical fulfillment of prophecy, meaning that certain nations that God said would be on the planet and in their posture toward Israel, and Israel being reborn again as a nation on May 14, 1948, all these geopolitical structures, they're all right now in place. The second thing is a sociological convergence. We are seeing society, not just here, globally, change its moral ideas about life. And what was once called evil is now being called good, and what was once called good is now being called evil. This is reality. This, this is not exaggeration. But the third one is the killer convergence factor. Technological Convergence. So, so you've got the geopolitical convergence, you've got the sociological convergence, you've got the technological convergence. For the first time in human history, it's never been possible before in human history to fulfill certain Bible prophecies, such as Revelation 13, which talks about a global government at the end of days in which there would be a, a severe economic system that no one would be able to buy or sell unless they give their allegiance to this new global leader and that has a lot to do with technology because you can't surveil the entire planet and everybody on it. You can't keep up with their purchases unless you digitize currency and unless you're multiplying cameras all over the world by the millions every day. And so we, we are living at this time of prophetic convergence. Now here's the, the good news, the really good news, and you guys hear me say this uh, a lot, and you can go on our YouTube uh, site, and I've done extensive teaching on this stuff. If you go to the bottom of the page, Bible Institutes, about what the Bible says about the future and why it's critical for us to know what it says about the future uh, because of the time we're living in. But, but here's the good news. The really good news is, and you guys hear me say this a lot, some of you probably think I'm crazy, that's okay, because I probably am a little crazy. You are likely, and I, even I, am likely to actually live to see the return of Christ. But what that, has, what that means, and you have to understand this, what that means is that we're also going to see what Jesus himself called this time of great pressure, unlike anything that the planet has, has experienced. And he said that his followers will be persecuted, some even to death. Nazi Germany, you're happy, you're living as a Jew from 1900, let's say, to 1932. But then 1933, Hitler comes along and your life changes. Now you have a choice. You can stay there and ride it out, which many of the Jews tried to do, and they suffered and they died in multitudes. Others were willing to change their life, change their lifestyle, throw away some of their creature comforts, uh, embrace insecurity, do, have to do new things, new careers, new, new ways of getting along. But they fled because they saw the signs. They were prepared, they were equipped. We're living in a hostile culture. It's going to become more hostile. We're living under pressure. There's going to be more pressure. The pressure is for us to become silent, to stand back, to forsake allegiance, to Jesus and forsake allegiance to the crystal clear truths of his word. I'm not trying to be overdramatic. You'll, you'll live to see what I'm saying is true if any of you doubt it now. All right, so we're going to do a series, and it's called Living in a Hostile Culture, and we're going to start with this. This is critical for us to get. If we stay faithful, we have nothing to fear. If we stay faithful, God will uphold us. You, you say, Randy, does that mean he'll protect us? Well, it depends on what you call protection. I mean, protection for me is that I stay loyal to Jesus until my last breath, even if it means dying as a martyr. Yes, he'll uphold us for that. He ne the scripture never shrinks back. and says that we won't go through difficult times. Jesus said in this world, we will have trouble. But if we are faithful, he will uphold us, and maybe many, many of us will go through this time of uh, thlipsis, Greek word, pressure, tribulation, just fine, just fine. So we're going to start in Daniel chapter 1. 
because Daniel gives us a perfect setting. The book of Daniel, the whole series is going to be in the book of Daniel, gives us a perfect setting for looking how to function when you happen to be living in one of these, these transitional eras in time and when culture suddenly start, turns hostile towards you simply because you're a Christian. It has nothing to do with your character or anything you deserve, but simply because you're a Christ follower. So here we go. We start in the book of Daniel. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and, nobil and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. goes on. But Daniel did what? What is, it? what is the word next word? Daniel did what? Resolved. He resolved. Living in a hostile culture, you and I have to be prepared mentally more and more to resolve. I go this far, I go no further. This is where the lines are drawn. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and I'll unpack this for you, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Skips to verse 18. And at the end of the time, so they're going to be taught the culture of the Babylonian, the learnings of the Babylonian for three years. They're, they're going to be kind of brainwashed, or at least that's the attempt. So at the end of that time, at the end of the three years, the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. Of course, he's the king. It goes on. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained. Two things I want you to... Verse 8, Daniel resolved, and in essence, he resolved to be faithful. And because he resolved to be faithful, he remained. He resolved, he remained. Daniel remained there in Babylon until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, when you read that, that probably doesn't make much sense to you. He was there under King Nebuchadnezzar. He stays there till Cyrus. Folks, that's 70 years. That's a 70-year span. He goes through four different kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar. Then he goes through Darius the Mede when the Persians take over. Then he goes through, finally, Cyrus, and Cyrus sends the Jews back to their homeland and to rebuild their temple. Daniel, because he remained faithful, you got to get this, it would have been so easy to compromise, so easy to cave in, so easy to go along to get along, just like it is today. And harder and harder to be faithful, but because he resolved, he would not defile himself. He, he would not step over the line to show disallegiance to his Lord. He remained. God sustained him. All right. So let's, let's start by asking a simple question. What was behind his faithfulness? I, I mean, you've got to get the, a little bit more of the historical context of this thing. Daniel, at this time, he's about 14 to 16 years old, the best we can surmise. He's in the, loyal, uh, in the royalty in the court of Judah. He is being groomed to come up and, you know, kind of head governmental affairs over the people of God. Being a Jew, he's probably been trained uh, thoroughly in the Word of God since he's probably four or five years old. He had access to the Word of God. The scriptures were right there in the temple in, in Judah. He, he would have known lots of the Old Testament. It would have, would have been, um, he would have had access to that. So he's being learned about the scriptures. He's being groomed to be a governmental leader, to lead the people of God in the ways and in the will of God. He feels like, you know, certainly this is God's destiny for him. But he also had access to the ministry of a prophet. 
during the time that he was a little boy growing up in Israel, there was this prophet named Jeremiah. And if you read the book of Jeremiah, you know that he prophesied for about 40 years begging the Israelites to turn back to God. But then about midway in in his ministry, he says, don't even bother, it's too late. You've rejected God so much, you've become so hardened, you've become so disinterested in God. He says, it's too late now. I'm going to have to do something else to motivate you, to stimulate you, to be the people that you were called to be, to represent me accurately to the rest of the world. So what was behind, what was behind this young teenager's faithfulness? Get the picture. He's dragged out of his homeland probably in chains dragged in this long journey to Babylon he goes there he's immersed in a completely foreign hostile culture he is forced to learn the language of the Babylonians the learnings the teachings of the Babylonians it is an attempt to brainwash him and yet he holds his ground how does does a teenager do this How how does a teenager today go into the hostile culture of our public schools and stay loyal to Christ stand up instead of stand back speak up instead of go silent how can we expect a teenager to do something like that today I mean what would it take what would it take to have any hope that a teenager would be able to do something like that here's the first thing it would take it would take clarity Daniel had clarity that teen today that adult today we today we need clarity but you might be thinking clarity Randy clarity about what clarity about this about the trustworthiness of God and his what and his word Daniel knew the scripture make no mistake just because he was a teenager like I say since since probably four years old he had been saturated with the scripture taught he's prepared he is clear in his heart that God is good God is trustworthy God is loving I know him I can trust him and I know when he speaks he's only going to say what is true he's only going to say what is for my highest well-being and happiness he is trustworthy his word is trustworthy I know him I know his word I know him personally I know him intimately I know his word personally and intimately and this is what enabled this young man to take this incredible stand that could have cost him his life he had clarity about the trustworthiness of God and the trustworthiness of his word unless you and unless I have clarity clarity unshakable clarity about the trustworthiness of God personally his character and the trustworthiness of his word and I need clarity about his word I need to know it I need to have it instilled I need to have my mind renewed and resaturated and reprogrammed with his word and unless that's my case when the pressure comes on us in a hostile culture it's going to be very hard to take the stands that we need to take when we need to take them he knew, as I said, Jeremiah's ministry. Jeremiah was telling the Israelites, if I could just go to that. Jeremiah 29, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile. He was carried, one of those carried into exile. There were three stages of this exile. First stage was about, you know, 605, 606 B.C. Another stage hit around 609, and then the disastrous 586. Nebuchadnezzar comes back a third time and destroys the temple. And, of course, it laid in ruins until, uh, you know, Cyrus, the Persian king, sent them back but anyway he says I carried them into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon so this is what Jeremiah is telling the Jews he's saying forget it it's too late the Babylonians are going to come and conquer you You, you've reached the fifth cycle of discipline the Jews all knew that when they entered into this agreement with God there were these cycles of correction in the book of Leviticus 23 there's five cycles of correction the last cycle when God cannot get their attention can't get them to accurately represent him to the world by being obedient to his word the last cycle of correction was they would be taken out of their land and scattered elsewhere until they became repentant Jeremiah is telling the Israelites and as a boy Daniel would have been hearing Jeremiah because Jeremiah was prophesying right there in Jerusalem He's saying, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Settle down, in essence, is what the rest of it says. Build houses, settle down. Marry and have sons and daughters. He goes on. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. When how many years? Seventy years are completed for Babylon. I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. 
Daniel, young kid, teenager, he's there at the start of this mess. Never dreamt that he would still be there 70 years later to see this promise of Jeremiah fulfilled. But my point is this. He knew what Jeremiah had said. He knew Jeremiah was a prophet of God. He knew the word of God, folks. Do you know the word of God? Are you saturated with the word of God? Have you studied it intensely for yourself? I so appreciate when you, you access teaching opportunities, and those are very important for you. But I'm begging you, as, as no other time, if you have not taken the time to personally study the word of God for yourself to buy a study Bible get involved in some classes whatever it is why not let this be the year you say because we're heading into a transitioning time folks you, you, you'll live to see that what I'm saying right now is true we're heading into a transition time and it is going to be very hard for us to remain loyal to Christ and to biblical truth unless we have clarity about the trustworthiness of God and the trustworthiness of his word. The day has gone where we can have the luxury of being biblically ignorant people. We're going to be tested. It's coming. It's, there's no question about that. There was a second reason behind this too. Excuse me, one more verse. It says in Deuteronomy 8.3, People do not live by bread alone, but rather we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Daniel knew the word of God, and it was more important to him than his, his bread. Now, now, you might be thinking, why did he make a big deal about the king's diet? He was willing to submit for three years to the, the Babylonian teaching. He was willing to submit to learning the Babylonian language. They even gave them all different names. They tried to thoroughly disassociate them and disorient them. They, they gave Daniel the name of Belteshazzar. They, they named the other guys Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they tried to completely steal away their sense of identity and belonging. But, but why did he draw the line at the dietary thing? Remember, the Jews had a dietary code given to them by God. It was, it was just meant to differentiate them from the rest of the pagan nations. And uh, the, the, the dietary code was kind of interesting. It was, it was like no pork. And by the way, Jesus said, all that stuff is gone now, so you can eat all the pork you want. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it was like no pork, and, and, you know, you couldn't eat any catfish, you couldn't eat any carp. And, and, and I always, when I read this passage, I think to myself, what, what was the king's food? Was, was the king eating a lot of carp? Because there's a lot of carp in the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. So I'm thinking, like, maybe there was this big carp laid out there, and Daniel's like, no way, no how, man. I'm not, I'm not defiling myself. But there was something about what the dietary, you've got to follow me on this, what the dietary code symbolized to Daniel is what I think he was reacting to. You see, food, technically speaking, we've all, heard the old, we've all heard the old saying, you are what you eat, you know what I'm saying? Some of us would be a Big Mac if that were true, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, I think Daniel, because he sought God in a personal way, he, he's, he's God, what is this dietary law really about? And I think he sought it. It's about letting the culture become in you. It was one thing for Daniel to be in Babylon, but Daniel was saying, Babylon will never be in me. I will not defile myself. I will be here because God has sent me here, but I will not let the culture of Babylon get in me. I think the food thing with Daniel was like, you're not going to get inside of me. I'm going to keep this under control. So anyway, he, he resolves not to defile himself because he felt this was the line. We have to have clarity, folks. We, we, we've got to start thinking in advance. Where are my lines? Where do I draw the line? Where do I say, here I stand and I go no further? Here I speak up and I will not be silenced. Here I stand up and I will not stand down. We've got to start thinking about these things. You say, Randy, that, that, that could cost me my job. Yes, it might. The Jews that saw the signs of the times fled Germany and they did lose their jobs and they did lose their lifestyles and they did lose a lot of comfort, but they lived... When we are in one of these transitional times in human history, some of us are going to have to make some very hard decisions, but you better be thinking it through. Where are your lines? Where are my lines? Let me go on. The second thing we have to have to, to be faithful in a hostile culture is convictions. Now, you might be wondering, well, what do I mean by convictions? Con convictions are these things that they have now become internalized in me. It's kind of like, 
I will do this because I know it is intrinsically right and beneficial. I will not do this because I know it is intrinsically not beneficial, not for my good. But how do we get to the place of having convictions? Let, let, let me go a little further than that. There, there, there's a lot of well-meaning people, and it's okay when we're early, young in our, in our Christian walk, where we just kind of do whatever, you know, it's after the Bible teaches, I'll just do it. You know, I don't ask any questions, i just do it. That's fine. That's a good start. But there is a deeper place that God wants to take us. He wants us to grow and mature so that we understand the why behind the what. We, we kind of get there, this is what God says, and we do it, and that's good. That's the path, the convictions. But when you get convictions, you now know the why behind the what, and it becomes spontaneous. It becomes intrinsic in yourself. So we develop convictions this way. Convictions come from, they're developed through obedience-based, what's that last word? experiences what do you mean by that so God says something I do what he says and then I experience the results and as I experience more and more results as these results accumulate in me I come to conclusions and I'm like whoa I now understand God, God tells me to be honest and when I'm honest I feel peace when I'm dishonest I don't feel peace we start learning by experience these experiences they, they get deep grips in our soul and now we're doing what we do because we believe from the depths of our being this is true this is right you can't shake me I'll never change I'm not doing this because I'm afraid of God I'm not doing this because I want a blessing from God I'm doing this because I see it for what it is it's right it's good and I see other things for what they are they are wrong they are evil no way no how so that that's the basic convictions Daniel he had clarity about the trustworthiness of God and his word he had convictions that were based on his lifelong obedience the evidence is he was an obedient young man to the word of God and when we obey the word of God we get experience of what it produces and just like Jesus said that sets us free look, look, look at this verse if you hold to my teaching says Jesus you're really my disciples. By the way, you need to re review that, th throw it around, reverse it. Jesus is saying, if you don't hold to my teachings, you're really not my disciple. I want you to hear that one more time. I can say all I want. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. I'm saved, I'm saved. I prayed the sinner's prayer. I did this, I did that. Jesus says, if I am not holding to his teaching, I am really not a disciple. I'm only deceiving myself. James, uh, James 1.22, it says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. You're really saved, in other words. Don't, don't mistake it any, any other way. Jesus didn't say go in the world and get people saved. He said go in the world and make disciples. It's when we become a disciple that we are saved. When we put our trust in Christ and become his follower, a disciple, then we're saved. He can't save us unless we trust him and are following him. Anyway, then you will know, and that word know there is interesting. It is a Greek word, gnosko. There's two different Greek words for know. The one is oida. It's like two and two is four. I can know that, memorize that. But gnosko, it's know by experience. It, it, it's like, okay, uh, we could analyze and study the training regimen of a professional boxer. Um, and we might know all, all kinds of things about it. They get up and they run four or five miles a day and they do this, do that, and they spend all this time sparring and everything. But all we would have is oida knowledge. We, we, we know by observation. But if we really wanted to know what the training regimen of a boxer is, we would get up for two or three months and do exactly what that boxer does. Then we would have gnosko. We would have experiential knowledge. Jesus says, then you'll know. You'll know by experience what it's like to, when you obey my word, when you really hold to my teachings, you'll know by experience what it produces within you and that truth will do what? Set you free. That's the most misused verse perhaps in all the Bible. You, you'll hear people that have never read the Bible in their life. Yeah, the truth will set you free. They don't read the rest of the verse. They don't know anything about the context. But it is important. Daniel had clarity about the trustworthiness of God and his word. He had convictions. He, he had walked with God. He had obeyed God. He knew what it produced. And that's why he was unshakable. Until we do those same things we're not going to be prepared for the increasing pressure that a hostile culture is going to bring on us and, and it's coming after us it's coming after our kids you, you can't you can't run from it anymore if you have children in the public education system it, it's it's a sad time now we're going to be constantly trying to bring more and more resources to you i'm going to just throw one out today this is kind of off the top of my head how many of you ever heard of a becca uh, curriculum a becca a b e k a i think it's how it's spelled 
If you're not familiar with it and you're concerned about what's being taught in public schools, you might want to look into it because literally you can have wonderful Christian education for your kids. Uh, it's all on video, so you don't, you're not going to be doing all the teaching yourself. We're going to try to get you more and more resources because the public school systems are no longer safe, no longer a safe place for kids to be in. Uh, they are not about education. They are about indoctrination. It's a hostile culture, and it's coming after us. So... Let's look at a, se a second point in this. Was his faithfulness worth it? I mean, he had every reason to just kind of buckle. He's, he's a million miles from home. He's surrounded by people that don't know anything about him. He could have rationalized, I'm going to go along to get along. You know, he, he didn't have to speak up, but he did. What, was it worth it? I mean, he gets stuck there for the rest of his life. He never goes home again. He never returns to the lifestyle that he thought he was being prepared for. He, he never experiences the, the identity that he thought God had brought into his life, that he was meant to be a, a, loyal, or excuse me, a royal leader amongst the people of God in Judah. He never realizes that identity. He never realizes that destiny. It never happens for him. He kind of loses that. Was his faithfulness worth it? He doesn't go home his whole life. Well, let's consider identity. I mean, what was, was Daniel's identity ruined in Babylon? Was it ruined in this foreign hostile culture? Was it ruined under all the pressure? If you read on the book of Daniel, and we're going to continue through it, he undergoes lots of challenges, lots of hardships. So do his friends. So was his identity ruined? Was his destiny ruined? I mean, could Daniel have just sat in a corner somewhere and said, man, my life is gone, man. It's ruined. I'm never going to have what I was supposed to have. I don't have family anymore. I don't have friends anymore. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not back in Israel. He could have moped about that. He, he could have he thought to himself, I'm ruined. But there's more to identity than this. When we read the book of Daniel, we find that he becomes Daniel because he's in Babylon he we would have never heard of him he would have never been the person that he became he would have never developed into he to the individual that he developed into he would have never had the identity he would have never had the destiny unless he was under the pressure some of you got to hear you're under pressure it's going to increase we're all going to experience the pressure but this is God's way of putting enough incentive into our life enough stimulation into our life that we can become the christ-like version of ourselves that we're intended to be that we can become the best and most beautiful version of ourselves the most courageous and unselfish version of ourselves. instead of just going along to get along we become people of destiny look, look at the rest of this his identity was not destroyed not ruined nor was his destiny his, his identity was developed and his destiny was secured by being in Babylon. Pause for a minute. Some of you, you might feel you have been taken prisoner uh, in a, a set of circumstances. You might feel that you're a captive. You might, you might feel that you're in a, in a very miserable set of circumstances that you can't do anything about. That's what it looked like, no doubt, from a glimpse at Daniel. But, but wait a minute. What, was Daniel taken prisoner to Babylon? Well, you could say so. Was he taken captive? Well, you could say so on one hand. But what we know from reading the rest of the story is God was not imprisoning him. God was preparing him. God was equipping him. God was developing him. He becomes this extraordinary servant of God that he is because he's in Babylon he needed the discomfort God is saying to some of you the very discomfort that you're trying to run from with all your might that you're trying to avoid that you think is a curse from God a punishment from God it is preparation from God it's meant to equip you it's meant to to cause the best version of yourself to come to the forefront without the pressure no Daniel we never hear about the guy he never makes it into the Bible his identity was developed under the pressure your identity will be developed under the pressure my identity will be developed under the pressure if we stay faithful to God why because God always upholds he always upholds those that are faithful Jesus said he that is faithful in a little will also be faithful in much God upholds the faithful so his identity was secured look at what scripture says about our identity just very quickly Romans 8 29 it says God knew from the beginning who would put their trust in him God has foreknowledge uh, he doesn't cause it but he does foresee it so he chose them and made them to be like who 
his son, my destiny, my identity, your destiny, your identity, you are meant, I am meant to be constantly developing in this lifetime to become more Christ-like and the pressure of a hostile culture can actually speed that process up because we have to take some stands and we have to get clear about who we are, where we're going to draw the lines, where we're going to stand, and the cost, ironically, that we will incur actually stimulates further growth in many cases. Let's go on. Philippians 3 adds this about our identity. It says, we are, not will be, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we eagerly, we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. So our identity is secure when we put our trust in Christ and become his follower, become his disciple. But then we've got to understand that that means living this out before a changing culture and a culture that sometimes warmly accepts us as such and then suddenly becomes hostile. Let's go on. Influence. Daniel was being groomed in Israel to be a man of influence, to lead the people of God in the land of God to the ways and the will and the word of God. He, he knew that he was being brought up to be a man of influence, and when he was thrown into Babylon, he might have easily thought, my influence is shot. My life isn't going to have much meaning. It's not going to have much positive impact. How can I have any impact? I'm, I'm, I'm so far from the people of God where, where you know, the will of God is. And, but nothing could be further from the truth. What actually was true was this. He was disproportionately developed and perpetuated. His influence was disproportionately developed and perpetuated. Once again, if Daniel isn't thrown into Babylon, you don't hear about him. I don't hear about him. We don't read about him. He's not in the Bible. But because he was put under this incredibly difficult set of circumstances in this pressure, it's when he starts to exert influence, not just upon the people of his time, but he has been exerting influence for 2,600 years now because his story is in the Word of God. He has influenced millions and millions of people because of his faithfulness. Had he not been faithful, we wouldn't have read about him. His influence wouldn't have been perpetuated, but now it's perpetuated. Sometimes we minimize in our own eyes how important, how critical our decisions to be faithful when we're tempted, when we're tried, when the door to temptation is flung wide open and nobody's watching and nobody's going to know. And when we say, no but God, no but God, I, God sees I see him, I'm going to stay faithful to him, I'm going to stay loyal to him. Those, those are moments that just, just kind of solidify our character and make very positive the kind of influence that God's going to be able to bring out through our lives. His influence was disproportionately developed and perpetuated right on down through eternity. Daniel, I guarantee you, when he was living there in Babylon, he had no idea God was writing his story down. He had no idea that God was going to use his life to affect the lives of millions of people right down to today. But because he was faithful, God was able to do that with him. Galatians 6 urges us now as Christ followers, let us not become weary in doing good, for, the, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not what? Give up. Daniel stayed faithful, and he stayed faithful for 70 years. And like I say, he influences disproportionately four different kings, and now millions right down to this present age simply because he was faithful. One, one other verse for us, it says in 1 Peter 5, 6, it says, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and at the right time, notice the timing element, at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. God has a time in each of our lives. He's gonna build our character before he can raise our influence because given influence too quickly before your character can sustain it, it always ends up badly. Daniel becomes Daniel because he's under the pressure. He's in Babylon, but he refuses to let Babylon ever be a part of him, get inside of him. Let me go on to this. Close, getting ready to close this out. Ephesians 6 says, put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. It's an interesting word in the original. It means his strategies that, that Satan, Lucifer, the, this, this ancient angelic being, that, that he has strategies. And what we see in the life of Daniel is, is a picture of satanic strategy. And it comes down to these three, three words. First, dislocation. 
And follow this because you might be experiencing this in your life right now. God tries to just get us to, to be out of our proximity to the word of God, the will of God, the people of God. He tries to get us apart from uh, the congregation of God, the, the gathering of God's people. He takes Daniel out of Israel. He takes him from Judah. He puts him, he plants him in this foreign culture. If you see things going on in your life that seem to be distancing you or, or pushing you, removing you from the gathering with God's people on a regular basis, be careful because that's one of his strategies. The second thing is disorientation. It never fails. I've, I, I'm, I'm an old guy now, so I've watched decades of this stuff. When people start drifting from the church of God, the word of God, from gathering with God's people, they start getting confused. What once they were crystal clear about was right or wrong, all of a sudden now they're not so sure anymore. The, the influence of society starts to get in them, whereas Daniel said, you know, I'm not going to defile myself the culture outside will never get inside me. When we get apart from the gathering, God's church, we start getting confused and we start rationalizing all kinds of things. And we start saying, well, I, I don't really know if that's right. And we start tinkering with views that once were crystal clear to us. Be careful if that's happening to you. If you if, let me, I'm going to be very, very clear with you about this. If society is starting to sway your views, on things that you know the Bible is crystal clear about, but you're now wavering, you're afraid because those views are no longer popular and they're going to make you a pariah and they're going to bring some heat on you and they may even bring some persecution in your livelihood and you're starting to sway, you're trying to rationalize, going along to get along, be careful because that's indicative that you're falling into one of the schemes of the devil and all he wants to do is kill and steal and to destroy ultimately. And then the last part is this, disassociation. People walk away from Christ, from his church, from his will altogether. We've seen in, in the past decade or so, we've seen major Christian leaders, major Christian leaders that led churches. They didn't just walk away from their churches. They walked away from God entirely. And, and we're like, how can this happen? How can somebody that was such a, an extraordinary communicator, teacher of the Word of God, how can they now say that they don't even believe in God at all, but this, this is what happens. It just, it's a drift. It happens. If you see any of this drift in you now, a propensity to start to disassociate more and more, to stand back, to be silent, not to speak up and to stand up about your loyalty, your allegiance to Christ, to his church. If you're finding more and more, I want to be quiet about my allegiance to Christ. I want to be quiet about going to church. Be careful because that kind of cowardice will not stop. And you may find yourself in a place that you never would want to be. You may find yourself at some point completely disassociating with Christ with his church, with his kingdom, with his word. I'm going to close by asking all of us. I think we, we need to ask yourself three critical questions. Here we go. Do I have, do I have, each of us have to ask this question, do I have sufficient clarity about God's trustworthiness, clarity and convictions to know when to speak up or when to shut up? It's going to be critical as time goes on, as our culture becomes more and more hostile. Jesus said to his followers, he said, be as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. We don't have to step into every controversial conversation. We, we need to learn to kind of keep our heads as low as we can, but we need to low, know where, where is the line? Where is it? This is where I stand. This is where I speak up. I will not be silenced. But we don't have to get into a lot of things. Be careful. There's a lot of traps set for us that we don't have to walk into. We, we can continue to try to serve within Babylon, but refuse to let Babylon within us. But to do this, you and I have to have sufficient clarity and convictions. Remember, we said Daniel had clarity about God's trustworthiness and the trustworthiness of his word and convictions because he, he experienced a life of obedience. Second question. Am I stuck? Do you feel, am I stuck with unwanted adversity or am I blessed with unequal divine opportunity? Some of us right now, we feel stuck. We feel like we're, we're, we're just experiencing senseless adversity. And I will say, it's adversity perhaps that you do not deserve at all. You've done nothing to deserve it. Daniel did nothing to deserve it. But what, what looked like adversity, it wasn't adversity. 
It was a divine opportunity. Listen, if you and I happen to be the generation that lives to see the return of Christ and go through that great period of pressure, that, that great tribulation and everything that that entails, that means that God looked down through the tunnel of time and said, you know, I know I can, I can trust that person. They'll stand. They won't shrink back. They will represent me accurately to the society of their day. They will have what it takes. He will see to it that we have what it takes. But you and I cannot bury our heads in the sand and act like we're not in this transitional season. Jews in Germany, once again, the ones that buried their heads in the sand when Hitler was talking about completely wiping out every Jew, they just probably kept saying to themselves, man, I'm not going to leave my business. I'm not going to change my lifestyle. I, I, I'm not going to believe that this could really happen. It can really happen. So we have to speak the truth to our own souls sometimes. I'm not stuck in unwanted adversity. I'm given a, an opportunity by God to shine, perhaps as no other generation of God followers has ever shined. The darker it gets, the brighter the, the shine when we stand faithful. And God always upholds the faithful. Last question. Will this destroy my character or develop my character? What looked like the destruction of Daniel's character being dragged away into Babylon, it, it actually is the key catalyst that developed his character. Pressure, hostile pressure, hostile cultures can promote some of the best, fastest, deepest growth within we as followers of Christ. That is, now you got you to follow, that is, that is, that is contingent. If I, if you, if we stand faithful, if we waver, if we waffle, if we go silent, if we hide our identity, if we, if we don't take the stands when we know God has spoken something cr with crystal clarity, if we just go along with society to get along, we will not develop, of course not, but if we stand faithful, if we stand fast, if we are faithful to God, He will uphold us and we will not in any way be hurt. Our character will develop because of the pressure. It won't be hurt by the pressure. So here we are today. Again, I want to reiterate what I said. This is a message series that, it, that is meant to be time sensitive. You mark my words. You can check up on this. We are going to see in the next 10 years, and I'm not saying that it might not happen much faster even, but we are going to see in the next 10 years an increasing hostility for everyone and everything that is Christian. And you and I are each going to be tested. We're going to be tested. And some of us, we're going to pay a high price. We're going to lose jobs. We're going to lose careers. We're going to have to start over. We're, we might have to up and move. We, we might have to do all kinds of inconvenient things. But God will uphold us if we are doing those things because we refuse to be anything other than faithful to Him to our last breath. We'll never regret being faithful to Him. We will regret. I can promise you this if we are not faithful. So, will you stand like Daniel will I stand like Daniel and be faithful let's pray father you have chosen to put us here right now in this place we know that you are more than adequate to equip us for whatever it is we may face what challenges you look down through the tunnel of time and you purpose for us to be alive at this transitional time may we not be scared may we not be discouraged may we be just be filled with courage and thankful to you that we have been honored to be right here, right now, this time. Give us strength. Give us clarity. Give us convictions about your truth. Draw us to yourself and to your word. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.